Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to the very first episode of the Polarizer podcast. Since this is the very first episode, I'll give you a brief idea of what the show is going to be about. Throughout the years, I've found that there are many people out there with an interesting story to tell. The dude sitting next to you at the bar might be a rock star who's famous in Malaysia. He could be a guy who spends weeks on the water in a submarine for a living, or he could be a guy who creates a lifestyle around building guitars, or could be a martial artist who has trekked through the mountains of Nepal for, for months. You know, you just don't know who you're drinking beer with and who you're bullshitting with most of the time. And sometimes those people are just have an incredible story to tell. At, at this time of recording, I just came back from a trip halfway around the world that took me about a year and a half. Now, you can imagine I ran into a lot of interesting characters along the way. I kept having these run-ins all over the place with random people who were doing all these amazing, wild, unorthodox things with their lives. And they would tell me about it. For some reason, people seem to find it very easy to really open up to me. I've heard stories that belong in books and movies. It's amazing. So at one point I asked myself, why not have these fantastic conversations with a microphone present? So that's what I started doing. I bought a little recorder and uh, started doing just that. Whenever I talked to an interesting person, I would just invite him for a couple of beers and people were very open to it. So that's great. And the guests I have on vary greatly in their approach to living. They're really all over the place, which makes doing these interviews a lot of fun. I learn something new every time. I get some new insights every time because, you know, everyone has their own ways of doing their things. And I approach every interview like a, like a Friday night bar conversation or, or like, you know, like a laid back, fun, easygoing conversation. We're not always drinking beer. Sometimes we're drinking coffee or tea or orange juice or whatever, but you catch my drift. Ultimately, the goal of the show is to provide an insight in the, into the many ways life can be exciting and fun, because we only get one shot at it after all. So this very first show is going to be a sit down with a very good friend of mine from New Zealand. His name is Dan, and he's a veteran from the New Zealand Army. He's been deployed to places like Afghanistan and Papua New Guinea. And he's an interesting guy with an interesting story to tell, which makes him perfect for the show. After spending several years in the military, he decided to move to Southeast Asia, where he roamed around for over a year with just a backpack. And he has some pretty wild stories from there, including being chased around by gangsters in Thailand and what life's like as a diving instructor. And he went on a motorcycle road trip with a bunch of random people through Vietnam. So it's just uh, good, good adventure stories. And this is the very first episode, so it's not going to be perfect. There's uh, a lot of background noise and some noise from our phones during the recording. And, you know, I, I'm a little bit awkward and messy and there's a little bit too much. Uh, uh, and man, what's up, dude? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's a learning process for me. So stick with it. It gets better. That's a promise, uh, especially the audio quality goes up after the first one. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I had great fun doing this with my good friend and it uh, turned, uh, turned out to be a great, interesting little talk. So sit back, relax and enjoy the very first episode of the Polarizer podcast. Thank you for listening. Recorded someplace random on this interesting planet we live on with your host, Nick Hubei. You're listening to the Polarizer Podcast.
Cheers. Cool. Thanks again. Anytime, mate. Yeah, right, well, fuck, might as well get started. Well, welcome to the very first episode, everybody. I'm, uh, I'm sitting here with Dan, my good friend from uh, Magnetic Island, or from New Zealand, rather. That's the one, Carmelo. Yeah, sweet, man. And um, uh, when I um, came here to Magnetic Island, I got a job at a uh, hostel as a bartender, and uh, a couple of couple of weeks later, then joined me there in the same function, and we were the bartending dream team, man. Living the life, man. Living the dream on the island. Yeah, bartender on a tropical island. Uh, what's uh, what's better than that? Let's see, I've got some. Uh, let's see. Well, this being the first episode, things are going to be a little awkward. Of course, but that's that's all right. Uh, right, man. First, uh, first question for you. Uh, what was the reason you started uh, traveling, man? Ah, uh, midlife crisis. <laughs> in your twenties, in my in my early twenties, I had a midlife crisis, and I quarter life crisis. Quarter life crisis. Yeah, I think that's probably more accurate. And I realized I hadn't uh, done what I wanted, what I set out to do with my life, and I wanted to go out and explore and see the world. Yeah, well, had some crazy adventures, and at that point, you already. Saw some shit though. Oh, that's true. I did spend about uh, six years prior to that in the military. And so I got to do some crazy shit there. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's a different style, you know. When you're in the military, everything's very controlled and you, you do what you're told. You go here and you do this. And I wanted to see the world from my own perspective. That's cool. Yeah, man. So what's uh, just a little background if you if you if you want to share that? Like, what are some countries that you? Uh, uh, Went to when you were in the military. Um, so I worked a lot in the Southwest Pacific of New Zealand. So countries like UA, Vanuatu, Papua New Guinea, yeah, and doing humanitarian aid and disaster relief type, type of uh, work. Yeah, what was I'm sorry, what was that? Like humanitarian aid and disaster oh, yeah. relief. So, like for example, there was a big tsunami which wiped out a big chunk of Vanuatu. Yeah. And we would get deployed there to do things like desalinate the waters for drinking water, okay. or to like clear the roads, or to provide like advice and and aid, essentially what we could, like medical aid and right. engineering aid. Um, so that was more like the the helping out in the local backyard side of the military. I also went a bit further afield, so I served in Afghanistan. And also in the Sinai Peninsula, some pretty interesting times there. Gnarly man. Yeah. Yeah. After after doing all that, you know, I really enjoyed those experiences. Got to have like uh, and do and see things which you can never get from a regular life. Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, I don't know, like um, other uh, people who were. Military veterans, they they um they told me like it's like two different worlds existing next to each other, like this. So accurate. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. we refer to it as like uh, living in a bubble because you're you're very isolated from the the civilian world. Yeah. And what normal 
all civilian people experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like I said, I can't, I can't even uh, imagine all that stuff. Like, yeah, it seems pretty intense, man. <laughs> Good. Well, for myself, when you're doing it, it doesn't seem like it's something strange to be doing. Right. Like, I joined when I was very young. I was, it's 19 when I, when I joined. Hmm. And so pretty much my entire adult life was up until I started traveling was, was in the military. Right. So doing things like flying in a, in a Black Hawk over the, the Hindu Kush mountain range in southern <laughs> Afghanistan, like that's that's kind of like normal. That was normal, like part of our experience. You don't <laughs> really realize how how strange it seems to other people until you get out of that military bubble and right. you're out talking with other, other like you know, civilian people who haven't had that experience. And you're like, well, yeah, actually, that was that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> and like. Um, that's uh, what you described. Uh, it's when when you probably flew like really really low with the helicopter over the mountains and stuff. Yeah, so you do like um, stay under the radar. Well, not so much the radar. They, they don't have radar over there, but it's <laughs> it's um like tactical flying. Yeah. So you stay very low to the mountain range, like very low to the to the ground, in order to avoid being spotted. Essentially, so you can't get targeted from a long distance away. Yeah. Yeah. As well, then. Right. Well, and so you you um you served your time in the in the military, and you did that for how many years? It was um just shy of six years. Okay, that was in Nepal. Hmm. And then you decided to like at one point you realized, hey, yeah, yeah. Well, I was I was working um as an instructor back in New Zealand. I've been there for about a year or so since my last deployment. And as much as I enjoyed the job and the work, I wanted like freedom to myself. Right. And having been you know, deployed a few times, I had a bit of cash tucked away. And, um, and also I've done a little bit of traveling after various deployments. You know, you get a few months off afterwards. Right. So I've already been around a little bit. And talk to people who are doing the travel lifestyle. Yeah, and it appealed to me, like the, the complete freedom to do what, what you wanted. Yeah, it was pretty sweet, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, first up was like, or, or before we go there, like, what was the, like, was there like one single moment where you realized, like, oh shit, okay, like, what was the. Or was it something that just grew over the years? Or was it something that, um, yeah. It was something I've had like in the back of my mind, I guess, since my first major deployment to Afghanistan, because I was with it for the first time I went traveling internationally, it was after that. Okay. And it just like a, like a, a seed in my mind. Right. And growing and growing the whole time of like having that, that freedom just to go out there and there's something She's very different <clears throat> and I was I was at work one day and I was just and I was sitting there and I was I was typing up like personnel reports like quarterly personnel reports on some of my soldiers right. I just thought to myself I, I could be like diving in an ocean or climbing a mountain or like snowboarding in some foreign cool country <laughs> like having you know, these awesome experiences rather than 
you know, being in an office on like Saturday night typing up personnel reports because they had to be fucking due in by a, a certain date and and it just kind of clicked like just it was, just, it was very much a snap decision like fuck it I like didn't do it like, yeah, yeah I didn't give myself time to, to second guess it yeah I knew like, I could just had to make that decision so as I was sitting there writing those reports I pulled up what's called a 717 which is a end of service you know what application you a 717 oh, like so military also. document MD 717 military document 717 okay I your your exit ticket out so it's just uh, just filled it out and going to work on Monday and just submit it so I guess I did have I did have that, that day or so to think about it but I wrote it like emailed it and that was that was it yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> Couple of weeks later, I was uh, I was out. Hmm. Like the I don't know the the office environment, the cubicle world sort of. Uh, that's that's uh, you're not the first one who's uh, myself included. Like most people, like oh, I was sitting in the office, staring into a computer screen. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know, like uh, <laughs> In my, uh, in my uh, work computer, I could uh, I had this like big desktop app, and every day like it shows you like this new amazing photo, this <laughs> amazing place. So one day you'd be looking at like whales, and one day you'd see like some some like big grand city, and then someday you see like I don't know some some temple in Japan or some shit, and you're looking at that, and then you look up from your screen, you see all the the fluorescent lights. Shining down on you and like all the, you know, mm-hmm. all right, fuck, yeah. <laughs> what am I doing here? Yeah. All right. So, um, so your your first stop was uh, where? Well, my first stop was uh, Thailand. Thailand. All right. Yeah. How how long was it after you made the decision to like quit? Like, how how much time was there between? Actually, uh, actually, quitting your job and, and hopping on the plane. Well, I had to do. I had to put my papers in. I had to stay around for. I think it's another a month or so. Yeah, it's monthly. About about a month of um, like before you could be released. Yeah, from active service. Actually, I didn't leave the army fully. I'm still on. The reserves, so I had to get that sorted as well. Right. So what that means, like, if the ship hits the fan, they can still. Uh, yeah, in the unlikely event that something serious happens, they can still pull me back. Right. Okay. But it also means it's a lot easier for me to re-enlist if, in the future, I decide I want to go back to that life. Right. Yeah. So far, it doesn't seem like uh, you're. <laughs> no plans anytime soon, but you know, it's it's never ideal to burn your bridges behind you, right? So I made no. sure that I left like the the military behind me in a good state with like a, a good reputation and the option to get yeah. back in there if I yeah, so didn't, chose. You didn't do the fuck all you guys. <laughs> do the fuck you and fuck you. And <laughs> I'm out. Take a piss in the water cooler. Alright, so so after my my month was up, I left the I left the Sunday after my last week. I had to be there, literally oh, wow. like two days after. I uh, cleared my stuff out of my locker. I I was on a plane. Oh, yeah, that was uh, <laughs> yeah. that was a pretty uh, yeah pretty snap decision indeed, then man. It was <laughs> it certainly was. Alright. 
Let's see. Uh, so yeah, Thailand. Uh, so what? What, what um, was? Uh, yeah, what happened there once you landed? Like, well, I got into Bangkok, and now I'm a, a big fan of of Bangkok. Been there many times, and always had a, a great experience there. Yeah. And I went to. I was there. I saw. Oh, really? No. I have to get them. I have to get them. Every everyone who's who's gone there and who we talked to about and say, "Oh man, it's a wild place." Yeah, it is. Like there's there's very little rules in Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can you give like a like a funny or crazy example of that? Like ah, on the spot. All right, my, the first thing you see when you sort of walk into Koh San Road is, is like this Koh San Road. Koh San Road is like a it's a the main sort of tourist hub within within Bangkok. So like where where everybody like the center of gravity for backpackers here yeah. in, in Southeast Asia, like everybody goes through there. Okay, and you walk through the main like the main street and the the sheer amount of people and like lights and action like the, the first bar that you see is in like glowing neon lights name of the bar we don't check IDs like that's like the first thing you see when you walk into this place and like and it just gives you like the, we don't give a shit yeah like, we, don't, we don't give a shit man you can do what you want yeah. like we're not gonna oh, we're not cool. going to do anything if you have the money to pay for it man you can do what you like uh, if you got the money, honey, we got your You got the money. <laughs> That's a uh, uh, welcome to the jungle. Guns are yeah. Yeah. reference. <laughs> uh, so yeah, man. So <laughs> started backpacking through that place. So yeah, I was, I was in Bangkok and I had a bit of a, a rough start. You know, I was um, staying at a pretty dodgy little hostel and. Was out one night and came back to find uh, the room being ransacked and all the uh, the contents of my wallets stolen. Oh shit! Which is never a great way to start your uh, your trip, including your your credit card, credit cards, everything. and everything. Okay. And my bank was fantastic enough not to put a halt when somebody withdrew like about ten thousand dollars of the cash from my credit card. Oh shit! Oh rough. So I ended up getting stuck in Bangkok for like. <laughs> a couple of months while I fought with my fucking bank trying to get them to refund me all these all the money that uh, they'd let me cash advanced off my credit card without a pin or oh, anything yeah that was so that was a, a painful start but it got better after that and um, did you did you like what was the end of that story like did you uh, oh yeah I managed ended up getting the like a, a refund of all the money from my bank oh that's good yeah it just it took a long time and I was I was stuck in Bangkok without any sort of means of getting any more money to myself. <laughs> so luckily, like before I'd arrived, I'd, I'd taken out like twenty thousand baht, like a like grand New Zealand or something. How much? Seventeen dollars. Like uh, it's about like grand, about a thousand bucks. Okay. And yeah. so I had to live on net for about two months <laughs> while I waited for the my uh, my bank to come through and, and get some new cards. Can you give you if possible credit and debit cards sent out to you when you're in a foreign country? It's very hard. Did, did they also steal your passport or? No. Oh, that was just the, just um, what was in my wallet. 
Okay. So you get sort of lucky there, mm. then I guess. So, what what kind of lifestyle does a thousand bucks for two months buy you in in Bangkok? Actually, a pretty decent one. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, you can live pretty well. Like, um, I mean, of course, I was restraining myself a little bit, but but still, you know, you can eat out every day and you know have beers every every night and yeah. go to the Muay Thai fights and. <laughs> You know, find cool little out of the boys gyms, and so it, it makes you chase after those things you can do without a lot of money. It's not like you have to live on the streets or anything. No, not at all. Not at all. Like uh, if you're not too picky, you can find some very cheap hostels there. Yeah, but I got a little bit pickier after having my show <laughs> rent. So. Well, you got your uh, credit card back. First thing you did was booking like five star hotel, probably. Right? I mean, just all right. That's, that's no, the first thing I did was book a ticket out of Bangkok. After <laughs> two months, man, I was done with that city. I was like, I, you know what? As much as I like it here, you were used to like it here. Like two months is is enough, man. It's yeah. more than enough. Yeah. And got uh, taken every stop on the river ferry and the sky train and visited every place it was possible to visit. Right. Obviously not Bangkok's a big place, but everywhere that had something interesting to see or do it, I've been there and done it. What kind of kind of vibe hangs in the air there, man? Like, is it? Uh, I mean, is it? Yeah. Mm. In in Kalsan, it's it's kind of like a a really big mix. It's such a it's a melting pot of like people, okay. people from all over the world. You know, you see there so many different languages and accents and you know you have like Indian fortune tellers next to like bootleg singlet vendors and you know all the types of food you could ever imagine you know little tuk-tuk drivers shouting out if you know you want a good time come with me man I'll show you a good time and is there like some obvious like shady shit going on out in the open like yeah uh... Like stuff where you feel like, well, you know, that kind of sounds kind of fun, but I, I don't think I should get involved. Well, you're never more than like a, a conversation away from being taken to a ping pong show or, <laughs> or something like that, man. <laughs> right, for those who don't know, like what happens at these ping pong shows? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I actually never went to one. I wasn't something I was too interested in, but I definitely have an idea of what goes on there. <laughs> you know, it's uh, these these poor Asian women shooting fucking ping pong balls out of their vaginas and <laughs> you know weird life sex stuff and uh, yeah, some of the stories I've heard about what goes on there is, is horrible man but some people must enjoy that kind of thing so yeah. it, uh, it seems to be thriving there yeah yeah I had a conversation with a guy on the on the Greyhound up, up from, uh, from Sydney to um towards Brisbane he was telling like he was he found some prostitute in Bangkok and and uh, at one point uh, as she was blowing he goes all right let's 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 go to my hotel room and then she uh, she took her pants off and it turns out to be uh, that she was a he <laughs> he was like man I know she was the she was the hottest chick I've seen all all week man I can't believe it. it was like, yeah, I got no regrets, man. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a kind of like a, a rule of thumb for uh, for Thailand is if like uh, it's a beautiful lady, like the most beautiful ladies, 
and not ladies. <laughs> it's a scary world, man. It's, mm. it's, uh, it's very, I mean, it's a very common thing in, in Thai culture. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I found if you don't give the ladyboy shit, they'll generally not give you shit. I, I kind of, um, well, as, as you know, I went to uh, the Philippines and there was some of that stuff going on there too, man. Like, lady boys yeah well it's it's a very much a cultural thing like it's it's weird, as far man. as i'm aware it's it's against the law to be gay in thailand really but they believe in like they're buddhist they got the reincarnation thing going on so they think it's possible for a male to be or for a female to be born into a male's body right and that's where the whole ladyboy thing comes from so it's acceptable to be a ladyboy it's not really so acceptable to be like a openly male but gay person. Right, okay, so that makes a lot of sense now. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's my, I mean, I'm probably glossing over a huge part of it, but from what I managed to, you know, understand from my time, yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Okay. Wow. Cool, that's another thing learned, man. That's, hmm. that's interesting. Huh. Uh, by the way, all the, all the noise you hear, that's, that's birds here. Uh, we're, we're sitting here outside in, uh, like, what do you call this? Uh, the Emmer Hostel, yeah. National, not Hostel Correction Hotel. Yeah, like a nice, uh, nice outside area, but yeah, it's 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 uh, in the outside and around the tropical island. So there's lorikeets and birds flying and chirping around. So uh, yeah. <laughs> Hi, man. So uh, <laughs> see, once I once I got my my stuff back. Um, Booked a bus ticket right out of there. Anyone who's been to Thailand knows the joy of the overnight buses. Yeah. I said that it was 13, 14 hours in this. Uh, oh, you can get some all right ones now, actually, but yeah, it's never a comfortable ride. Yeah. And I went out to a this place. Is like, a, like a scary, shitty bus that feels like it's about to fall apart. Or... No, actually, they're quite nice there now. Yeah. It's more the fact that the, the roads are pretty shit. They don't travel very fast. Right. And, you know, a. a distance that would take you maybe five hours to do here in Australia will take you like uh, 15 to do in Thailand right because yeah. the roads are very slow the traffic is insane there's no rules there too more guidelines yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah like uh, there's also the, the thing that's like five people on one little scooter right mm. like, uh, the family transport <laughs> But scooters are fantastic, man. I own one over there. Like the the go to way to get around, man. What kind of what kind of scooter did you have there? What's like a Honda, Honda like Honda one two five. I can't remember exactly what. It's, what it, the it's like the was. the scooter for for Southeast Asia. Like it's one famous model. I know. It's. Uh, I'd actually say in Thailand you see a very large variety. Yeah. Very large variety. Okay. The types of scooters out there. So, all right, so you take the bus out of the city. What's, what's the next stop? Oh, I'll actually head to um, a little island called Kotel. So you bus up there and then you catch a little mini bus from the, the bus terminal. And there's like 50 people crammed into the back of this little like lorry and it drives you to the ferry terminal. And then you, you jump off and have a few beers and watch everybody get seasick on the ferry crossing out to the island. <laughs> and Kotel, Kotel is this this cool little uh, place it's not exactly a hidden gem it's probably the most famous I guess diving um, 
location in the wilds, you know. Really? Yeah. Cartel, like, how do you spell it? Cartel. K O H T A O. Okay. Okay. Cool. Mm. And then, you know, I'd never been diving before, and I wanted to give it a try. I heard that was the place to go, so went over there and took some scuba diving courses, doing like, you know, your basic open water and advanced, and just really enjoyed the... Oh, man, excuse me. <laughs> enjoyed the ocean and the sea life and uh, the lifestyle on the island. It was fantastic. It was exactly what I'd been hoping to find when I left New Zealand. That's cool, man. And uh, I really liked diving, so I thought, fuck, why not? I'll just stay here and like sign on to do my, my dive master course. How long did that take you and how much did it cost you there? So it was around 20,000 baht for the dive master course, which is, which is again, it's about 1,000. Yeah, okay. It's under 1,000. How much would that cost if you'd get that here? It depends. You know, like uh, a lot of places, like here in Australia, for example, you won't really pay to do your dive master course. You'll do it as like a, a work for your dive master course. Oh, I see, yeah. So you don't pay anything for it, but you work on the boat or for the company like 12 hours a day, six days a week. Okay. Fucking paid. Right. And there are options available in Thailand also. Uh, but I didn't want to have to you know, work six days a week and dive too. I wanted to dive six days a week and not work at all. And I had the money to do it. So, <laughs> yeah. but why not? Yeah. Money is the key to freedom. Walter, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was, that was about three, three and a half, maybe four months. Okay. And I was diving up to five times a day sometimes. Wow. It was a pretty brutal schedule. You know, we had the, the company that I worked for, the boat would, leave at 6 a.m. in the morning for the, the first two dives so we had to be up at 5.30 get down there you know load the boat up and get all the gear on board and make sure we had all our customers and everything there and all the gear ready for them right and then you just go up there and you dive man a couple of dives in the morning come back from lunch a couple of dives in the evening and then if you're lucky there's night dive going out jumping on that as well uh, you spend upwards that was like five hours in the water every day. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, that was, that was cool. It's pretty brutal though, because you know, long, long days. Yeah, and, and it takes but, your toy on your body too. Man, like being underwater, it's, it's kind of. I don't know. I've only done it, did it once, but I, I found it pretty, pretty damn intense, man. Like the first few times, for sure. But like the thing about diving is that you're supposed to try and be as relaxed as possible. Right. To like use as little energy as possible. Yeah. It's like is the is the goal, and once you sort of get like basics down like frog kicking or how to like move yourself propel yourself with the water without using too much energy it becomes really easy right okay yeah I definitely want to go uh, for another dive sometime somewhere it was uh, definitely a cool experience man like entering a different world yeah it is it's like you go down there and it's you see the inspiration for movies you know like why yeah. how they can come up with these ideas with different worlds because there's such a different alien world yeah that's very, very cool to be a part of it. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's cool stuff. So you, um, so then you went to, became a dive instructor and you, you did that for how long? I was in Thailand for about a year okay. doing that. Wow. And, well, actually, no, it was, that's including my dive master course, so 
like whether well, it's like eight months, eight months working there in Thailand, and then of course not having a real visa, you have to you have to go out and do like a it's a border run every few months <laughs> to renew your your tourist visa. <laughs> so every couple of months you go somewhere cool, like you know just make everything out of it, take a week or two off and go to Cambodia or Laos or like you know drop down to Malaysia or go over to like um, Burma, you know stuff. Yeah. You've been all over the place there, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, was, I was there for quite a while. Yeah, that's, a, that's a cool way to do it too. Just work there and mm-hmm. do to have a. I mean, I think you really enjoyed that job too. I really did. You could play some like, um, uh, nice girls too. I bet. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> of course, man. You're working as a diver in a in a island in Southeast Asia. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good times to be had, definitely. But, yeah, but if you want to take it seriously, you can't just be out partying every night, especially when you have 5.30 starts every morning. Yeah. So you do like uh, have to sort of make a decision about whether you want the party lifestyle or if you want to actually go like serious on, on the diving stuff. Right. Yeah. Okay. And um, so you, you mentioned you went to Cambodia and... and Burma and which other place did you say? Um, Laos. I've uh, been to Vietnam and uh, to Myanmar and uh, Indonesia. And which one of those uh, places like were are, are dearest to you? Like you, you remember, like which which one of those places were like oh, that was that was really really cool. Like, it was. I mean, I'm sure all of them were. Uh, for me, it was like maybe Malaysia. Malaysia. Yeah. Okay. Why? Well, I got a bit of like family history, you could say that. Okay. Like my my grandfather was another military man who fought in Malaysia in the nineteen fifty seven land emergency, which not many people know about, but it was like a so the communist uprising there and a lot of New Zealand soldiers and Australian soldiers went over and fought there. Yeah. And I got to go there and I got to to hike in the highlands and the jungles where my grandfather went. Okay. You know, like I, I talked to my grandmother and got a few of my grandfather's things and sort of figured out from some of the photos he took where he'd been. Wow. And then went to those places myself and spent several months just by my pack wandering through the, the highlands of Malaysia. Yeah. That's, uh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, it gave me like a chance of trying to envision what his life would have been like while he was there. Yeah. <laughs> Glad it was not me. <laughs> oh, man. But that's cool, man. Just kind of kind of try to follow his footsteps a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah. Another one for me, too. So, oh, here it is. Yeah, man. So, yeah, so for me, Malaysia, for that particular reason, is why I, I really like that country. Yeah. All right. Oh, cheers, man. Cheers. But in terms of like fun, uh, I think Thailand is probably the most fun you can have. But Cambodia is pretty close. But Cambodia definitely has a, a darker undertone to it than, than Thailand does. In what kind of way? It's a lot seedier. A lot of seedier in Cambodia. You can just tell like bad things happen there. Yeah, I mean it has a pretty rough history and on top of that like there's a lot of a lot of the bad type of tourists go there. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Well, I had a, another ex-army mate of mine who was working at a place called the Dolphin Shack in Stilnikville. Where? Stilnikville, which is like a good town on the southern coast. Okay. Uh, so I went over there and crashed with him for a couple of months and worked at that bar. <laughs> Sweet, man. Cool. Work. It wasn't really work. It was more like a promotion stuff. You know, hey, come drink at the bar. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Got two dollars a night. Dorm rooms. In the two dollars per night. Utopia hostel. What a rough place that was. <laughs> and man, that was, that was just a fun place though. Like, yeah. Well, those kind of rough places usually like when when you're there it uh, it's always easy living through it but yeah. it make it always makes for the best story afterwards man oh yeah yeah after after a few weeks in that hostel you just you really get clean again <laughs> you need to <laughs> you really get out of there uh, that, was, that was really fun and Vietnam also like uh, did the whole go scooter thing so like had a scooter in Ho Chi Minh City yeah and sort of like a couple of guys I met down there we all like hide scooters out so you can hide them in Ho Chi Minh and then get them back in Hanoi in the north oh yeah so we started like a, a road trip with scooters with scooters yeah that's cool going up and um, just going through each of the big major cities you know like Hoi An and Trang and I can't remember the names everywhere now and by the time we we finally managed to arrive in Hanoi with a master group of approximately 17, 18 people riding in scooters, and it's one big like pack just going from <laughs> city like, to city. Uh, like the Hell's Angels, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the worst Hell's Angels ever. <laughs> a little scooter. And then flip flops and singlets and <laughs> riding scooters. Yeah, not very intimidating. <laughs> no, that, was, that, was, that was fantastic, man. Like, it does really, sound like, really a, cool. like a cool, cool adventure. Yeah, like every, every sort of city we stopped at along the way would stay in one of the, the big hostels and have a pretty good time and usually recruit another member or two into our, our wolf pack <laughs> that's cool man it's like um, so um, if you if you just go through a town like that and you, you hang out with locals it's like easy to hang out with uh, just make contact with locals and you know just, uh, not so much not with it not really with the locals I mean there's definitely ways that you can you can do that uh, but that wasn't really I guess the mindset that I was there with yeah I just yeah. there for, for a good laugh for some fun yeah exactly yeah. So, to see the country to have a good time in terms of uh, nature like uh, it's, uh, it's just a uh, beautiful like if, if I think about that country I think of like lush jungles and stuff like that or, or am I on? <laughs> <laughs> lush lush is a word. I'm not sure if it's one I'd use to describe <laughs> the jungles of Vietnam. They are, they're big and they're hot and they're sweaty. And they're not, it's not a very um, forgiving like, place to be in, man. Yeah. So if you go there, leave your, leave your valuables at home. Don't take too nice uh, stuff with you. Nice oh. clothes. Just uh, you know, rough it out, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you really you have to get off the sort of the beaten tourist path to get out into the, the jungles like quite a lot. Did, did you do that? Uh, not while I was not while I was in Vietnam. No, I uh, was doing the the road trip from north to from sorry from south to north and didn't have too much. We didn't a lot too much time to seeing the jungles. Right. 
was more uh, as uncultured as it sounds. It was more of a <laughs> a country long bar crawl. <laughs> well, sometimes that's just what you're looking for, you know. Like, uh, and I, uh, <laughs> when I came, um, oh yeah, um, like I, uh, when I did um, went up to Brisbane, I uh, was uh, in Australia. I was stuck there for like a month or so. I picked up this uh, shitty contract job and uh, uh, got paid fuck all for it. That's beside the point. I just wanted to get out of there. And um, I was like, well, you know, I just go to the to the Gold Coast. And like everyone who was talking to that, don't go there, man. The place sucks. Like, it's flashy. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's nothing there. There's no culture. It's just, just a bunch of bars and beats. I'm like, well, yeah, maybe that's that's all I want. Sometimes right now, that is what you want. You know? I think uh, maybe maybe I, I just want to be in some yeah. sort of dumb place with a bunch of bars and you know exactly some bunch. beautiful beaches and some pretty yeah. ladies. Yeah. You know? it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, no need to. You know. Especially like, well, what does a beer cost over there in Vietnam? Fifty cents. <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a bar. Right? Yeah. There you go. Okay. Yeah, fifty cents. Yeah. What, what's um. Hey, while you were in in, uh, in Southeast Asia, what's like the wildest, craziest thing that happened there, or that you got involved in? Or, like, uh, just some, some. Doesn't really matter which country, but just just uh, just one thing that stuck by you, like oh shit. Oh, by the way, the noise that you hear right now—that's uh, the Australian Air Force flying over with their. Uh, I don't know what planes do they have here? Probably still on the F-16. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway. Uh, Are you going through a library of like I'm trying to like, yeah, trying to pull, pull through like the, the collection there to, to <laughs> see which would be the, the wildest and the, the craziest. It's hard when they all, they all blur together after a while. <laughs> Like you never have a hangover because you keep on drinking that kind of stuff. Pretty much, man. Pretty much. <laughs> Alright, well, just keep. I have to take a. Yeah, just just keep that one in the back of your I'll head. Put one in the back of my head and try and see which one I can decide on. Yeah. So you, so now you're in Magnetic Island, Australia. Which is in Queensland, off the coast. Like, uh, it's a beautiful little island with two thousand people living on it, and um, like, I've been here for four months too now, and had several um, travelers coming through and saying, "Well, keep coming back here." It was even this uh, this German guy who, who was here like ten years ago. It's like, yeah, I've been all over Australia, but yeah, I still stand by that this is the most beautiful place in Australia. I can kind of see that now. It's it's a, it's a gorgeous place. But um, like how, how did how did you end end up here? And, uh, like because if you came from, from Thailand and all those those other countries, at one point you decided to go to Australia. Yeah, well, it's right, what's what's that, story? What's that guy called again? It's a curler. Yeah. Find that's the just, little... just just for the listeners know. Yeah. All right, that's that's what a curler sounds like. <laughs> Um, well, I was over in over in Asia, and 
I got a phone call from my old man who happens to live in Western Australia in Perth there. He was starting up a new business and needed somebody to help him out for a little while with uh, getting the new location set up. And I was beginning to run a little bit low on money. Yeah. As I was never one to live within my means and uh, <laughs> as I had no means for a few years. <laughs> well, you know, the, the money you make as a diver is not really not a huge amount. So okay. a, the funds are running low. And my dad was like, my father was was asking me to come over and help him out for a little bit. So I went over to Perth and helped him set up a new business. And once that was done and dusted, I, I thought I'd better like sell down somewhere to, to save some money. Yeah. And was looking like looking for jobs and looking around Australia, sort of thinking where I'd like to live. And Queensland seemed like a very like cool place. There's yeah. A lot to do and see here. And it was a part of Australia I hadn't been to yet. Nice weather too. Nice weather, yes. It's always a plus. And so I flew over to um, to Cairns and did a little bit of diving there first, and came down to, to Townsville here and staying with the hostels, met a few people, and they were heading over to the island here to Magnetic. And I thought, why not? I'll, I'll go check it out as well. Yeah. Could be could be fun, man. I like islands. And I came over and I was staying in the, the hostel where I met yourself. Yeah. And just got talking, just got yarning with the, the girls at reception. And I mentioned there was a, a job available, a job going. And you know, never having worked in hospitality or anything like that before, but I thought, yeah, throw a resume in, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. That's a life lesson there too for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Just, just fuck it. Fuck it. Do the job. Just do it. Yeah. About uh, a week later, I was back up in Cairns again, and I got a phone call from the manager asking me to come down for an interview. So turned around, came back down again, and yeah, got the got the job. Started the day after. Yeah, yeah, man, it's good times. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so now just uh, loving life on the island and. trying to save the cash money to enable me to travel some more yeah so the next next uh, like it's it's uh, it's all in the open right you got Canada you got Europe <laughs> yeah. and now you got Thailand again. and now I got Thailand again yes but I yeah. think those birds are cool but I wish you would just shut the fuck up right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah man so um yeah, so what's, um, to get back to the previous question, I don't know if your subconscious mind has chewed on that for a little bit. Come up with something. There's such a wide, like, variety of things you can do in Thailand that just seem very wild compared to what you can do back home. Yeah. You know, like, taking mushroom shakes and going tubing in a place like Bang Bing. <laughs> at the same time. Like, yeah, at the same time. Like, you know, mushroom. <laughs> chewing on a mushroom shake and floating down the river in a giant inner tube and... Tripping your ass off. Tripping your ass off <laughs> and, and drinking beers as you float down this big river. Um, you know, partying at the, the Copenhagen at the full moon. Uh, rock climbing and Riley at... You know, living like a, a real hippie on the beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, rock climbing every day and... Um, going to a Muay Thai fight camp for three months and really getting into the into you 
martial arts and fitness and, and learning from like these amazing athletes. Actually participating, like actually participating and and getting a chance to fight in like a a Muay Thai ring is that was a pretty humbling experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those those guys are tough as shit, man. I've seen some videos where they just they beat the fuck out of each other. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's a hard sport. Yeah, it's a hard sport. Like knees to the head and shit mm-hmm. like that. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, knees, elbows, everything. Yeah, eight points of striking. <laughs> Yeah, so the full moon party, that's that's a big deal. It is a big deal. It is um it is a really good time the first time you go there. Yeah. It has it has unfortunately suffered from like the, the over commercialization which, which plagues a lot of Southeast Asia these days. Right. Now it's kind of a, a victim of its own success you could say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still like from, from I don't know, like people have told me just people zonked out of their minds just walking around like everyone's fucked up in one way or the other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you take like, you know, fifty odd thousand people and cram them onto a tiny little island and <laughs> fill them up with like coke and drugs and alcohol and <laughs> and then just like see what happens, man. Yeah. You get some wild shit going down. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, floating down the river on mushrooms, that sounds like a, like a pretty wild time to do that. <laughs> that's something, yeah, like you can't you can imagine something saying that, like, uh, you know, anywhere in Australia or Europe or, you know, like, I mean, yeah, you know, that's, that's what we do here. And it's <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's one of the major draws for the country, you know, there. <laughs> Just the, the poultry. <laughs> Literally, it's like one of the biggest attractions there. Yeah. Let's get crazy, let's get yeah. fucked up, let's do some yeah. crazy shit. Like, Oh, Alright, so um what's um what's the scariest experience during your travel so far? Like yesterday you told me a story. Uh and Yeah, that was the the military days. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> From my travel times, uh, having a run with some Indonesian gangsters and Gilly T was okay. pretty nerve wracking, I guess. Now, for those who don't know, like Gilly T is this little island in, off of Bali in Indonesia. It's a pretty crazy, pretty wild place. Yeah. Again, one of those one of those areas where you can, you can get anything you want. Right. People do. <laughs> and there's no police on the island either. Really? But a lot of gangsters. So they basically run run the show. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Well usually those places are just are, are safe because no one walks around because they know they're probably gonna get killed, but Yeah, we put enough uh, alcohol into people and we do some silly things. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's the, like the only place really where I think of of being like deliberately drugged by somebody. Really? Yeah. <laughs> like, I got. How did that happen, man? It's just like, um, <laughs> yeah. 
was out drinking on an evening with a, a few of my friends from the, the mid the hostel. And we were talking to like uh, we're one of the bars there on the main strip and talking to some local Indonesian guys and they seemed like they're friendly enough and they're trying to sell us drugs and we were like, no, we're all right, we're all right, we're all right, blah blah blah. <laughs> and yeah, they seem they seem to get like a little bit pissed off about that. Yeah, they want to buy anything and it's one of the the last real clear memories I have really of that night for for quite a few hours. Wow. And it came I don't know, like two a literally about two AM in the morning, I just like yeah, that moment of clarity when you snap back to like reality. Yeah. And I was in like a cash withdrawal box, like uh, one of those over in Asia, all the ATMs they're like these little boxes. Like so you can like close the door behind you. Yeah. Tell people can't like get in or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen those, yeah. It's just like like phone booths with yeah, like ATM. Phone booth yeah. yeah. And I was in one of those and I was trying to like <laughs> jab my FBOS card into the machine and I like remember like just a moment of clarity I looked now like what the fuck am I doing <laughs> and I like put my FBOS card back in my wallet and I turned around and I was by myself and there was about you know five six Indonesian guys behind me waiting outside. waiting and I was like fuck like what, what am I doing he's like you owe me money for drugs really? I, like, I didn't take any drugs from me he's like you did look in your wallet I'm like what the fuck I look in my wallet and there's like a bag of powder in there <laughs> fuck of course, all the money in the wallet is gone. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck. Oh, that's, that's a scary situation. Yeah. Man. <laughs> yeah. So, like, going to put my card back in, but luckily, like, I hadn't transferred any money onto that card. So, I was like, oh, there's no money. There's no money in there, man. I look at the screen. There's no money. And he was like, here, try this one. So, he gives me, luckily, he gives me back my other card that's been <laughs> stolen from my wallet. <laughs> I go, let's try this one. And I'm like, uh, oh, shit. Yeah, all right. Like, I go to put it in the machine and then just, like, and it's kind of like pretending to put it in and just like kind of slide it back into my wallet, spin around and like, you know, just sprint out the doorway and just start fucking running, just running, <laughs> running, running, just like as fast as I fucking can, like not looking back, man. And just, oh, just fucking running, like ran all the way back to my accommodation, like doubling back around the alleyways and like uh, doing everything I could to make sure that I was being fucking followed. And oh, man. I didn't even go into my hostel. I like sat about like, Three five hundred meters down the road, behind some bushes, and just like watch to make sure, like, and like, see anything about where I was staying, and then we like following me back to my accommodation. And <laughs> Jesus, yeah. So yeah, it's a, a well, little place to be like fucking careful there. I you, got, I got pretty lucky. What, what do you think they gave you there? Is like roofies from shit. Yeah. Uh, I have, I have no idea, man. It's just lost a couple of hours there. And just like yeah, just totally lost a, a few hours. I mean, I. I can handle my alcohol pretty well, and I know that uh, that's not something that happens to me from drinking. So, yeah, you gotta be careful. Careful in those places. How, how can you tell that it's just like you can always just tell when, when it's that kind of place, like you, just the way people sort of act around one another? And, yeah. Yes, like it's the way people say, like. The way the, the local people act, you know, especially if they're if they're trying to sell you something, and especially like drugs or anything like that, man. Like it's not worth it in a Southeast Asian country. Yeah. Like not just not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also uh, like undercover police trying to trick you into uh... yeah into buying stuff. Yeah. Like basic rule of thumb, uh, somebody offers to sell you drugs, just don't, don't <laughs> buy them. 
Do not buy them. Okay. Well, that's, that's a good tip, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. So, um, like, what, um, what's uh, what's the one thing you take with you in your travels that you really couldn't live without? Like one, one like piece of gear, one gadget that you just like. Yeah, if if I didn't, if I wouldn't have that with me, uh, anywhere really, it would uh, I would feel uh, naked. <laughs> well, I have a a couple of things, really. I mean, the most important one is a good smartphone. Yeah. That's that's like that's key. Yeah, you can replace everything with that. Like you don't need a camera, you don't need a laptop. Like a good smartphone, yeah, is essential. Neighbors beat the shit right now. It's yeah, like why has been through the war? Through the war, probably literally even. No, actually, okay. I, uh, I had uh, another phone, but it it came to its end in Asia so this was a cheap Malaysian replacement but oh, pretty good for the price man like, the Lenovo yeah. yeah pretty good for the price and make good laptops too um that and and a big big knife alright is what I always take with me it's my combat knife okay which I picked up on my mini travels when I was in the military and that always comes with me because you can always find a use for it. Yeah. You need to make something, clear something, cut something, you know. Yeah. yeah. What kind of uh, knife is it? Like, it's just kind of like tight uh, or brand a, or something? No, it's just a, it's a big, heavy-bladed hunting knife. Okay. Which I <clears throat> picked up on my travels and, well, my travels, my time in the army. And... Yeah, something I'd never want to be without. I mean, of course, don't don't carry a big knife around with you when you're going up hiding or something like that. That's not a good idea. Yeah. But I like I like to hunt and I like the outdoors and I like trekking and hiking and yeah. You know, quite often I'll be out in the the wilderness and nature. Yeah. And it's very important to have that with you. That's your number one tool. Right. Yeah. Never fails. Always works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. Yeah, like um, I remember yesterday we were talking about hunting too. Like uh, back in New Zealand, you were. Uh, like oh yeah, I grew up on a farm, right? Yeah, so hunting was kind of in the blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a very fun pastime. I think everybody should know how to to catch their own food and yeah and survive out in the wilderness. And hunting really, really gives you that. Yeah. And it's a great way to see see places you'd never go otherwise. That's a good point too, man. But yeah, mainly when I was growing up, we would mainly hunt deer, but a lot of other things as well, like you go pig hunting or rabbit hunting, possum hunting. Uh... Yeah, it was just it was, a, it was a part of life growing up, you know. Yeah. On the weekends, my father and my uncles and everybody would, would go out and overnight in the bush, and it's just a pretty like normal thing for us to, to go do. I think it teaches teaches you a lot of things too, like patience, and like you really get a get an idea, like like what you're what you're actually eating when you're eating a piece of meat. And mm-hmm. Gives you an idea of what goes into it. Yeah. You learn how to butcher an animal for the first time. <laughs> yeah. 
it's like yeah like, yeah like you said it's sort of like a right life skill of passage to become like a mad <laughs> i agree with that though uh, yeah, it's gives you just good basic survival skills yeah you know you'll learn how to make a shelter you'll learn what can and cannot hurt you out in under nature yeah that's something i think we got removed from in the last uh like 100 years probably a lot of most of us yeah i mean it's uh yeah it's really easy to just buy whatever in the supermarket you don't have to know where it comes from most people don't even want to know where it comes no. from i mean uh it's pretty funny man like a couple of my friends uh run a restaurant uh back uh, back at home they just opened a open a place earlier this year and they um they have this uh um pig roast like you know just said uh pig on the um, pig on the spit yeah yeah and uh you know, they they post like a photo of it on their Facebook page, and everyone's like all with an arms, like, "Oh man, that's horrible, that's cruel." It's like, "Oh, do you not understand how food is made?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's literally no difference in doing that and just sticking it in your own name. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know. Like just just a visual of it, I guess, just makes people puts rubs their noses in reality, I guess, and it's not comfortable for everybody. Yeah. No. <laughs> so all right, so we got a, so we got a, a smartphone, a big hunting knife, and hmm, that's pretty much it. I do lug around a giant gaming computer. <laughs> Yeah, Which is something I wish I could live without, but I cannot live without it. <laughs> and it is a pain in the ass because it weighs so much. Yeah. So much. And it's a very inconvenient thing to carry around with you. Did you carry the thing through Thailand and Vietnam yes, as well? Do you really? Everywhere. Everywhere <laughs> I go. But that's that's I mean I mean that's pretty amazing that it survived all that stuff, man. Like he it seems like you put it through through a lot. I have put that laptop through some hell. Did you actually use it when you were when you were there out there? Uh, when I was in when I was stable, like for example, if I'm in a place for more than like maybe three months or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then yeah, you know, like um, I like the game. You know, been a gamer since I was a little kid. Yeah, yeah. So and still so get on there and uh, and like to to have a few games where I can keep them. It's a good way to keep in touch with friends as well. I'm not so much for social media. But I do, you know, do keep in touch with all of my friends via gaming, you could say. Yeah. What are, you, what are your favorite games again? Or were you, say, <laughs> Dota? I have sunk way too many hours into Dota. <laughs> way too many. And the civilization? But, um, yeah, so like strategy games is sort of my, my thing. Oh, yeah. And uh, I guess they went hand in hand with the job as well, you know. I like the military, I like tactics, I like warfare, and I like games where you can do those things. Yeah. That makes sense. I like to try and convince myself that I was helping to train by playing these games. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Not, not wasted time there, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
That's a good pass though, man. I can't believe you locked it. Fucking like, yeah, what? fucking heavy thing everywhere, man. Well, it's like a 17 inch. Yeah, 17 inch. Asus Republican game is fucking <laughs> gaming beast. The power brick, the big weighs, power weighs like a kilo too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, like my um, you know when you're backpacking, you like a couple of bags. You have like a big backpack with all your your clothes and your other gear in it. And a small backpack. And then a small backpack. Yep. Stuff, yeah. And my small backpack would often weigh in excess of like 10, 15 kgs. <laughs> That's because, a lot, man. <laughs> because I'd have that, that big laptop in there and then, you know, <laughs> the other things. Yeah, so you also travel with two backpacks. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you're like a backpack and like a, a day bag. Like yeah. I took my, my military day bag because it was very good quality. Yeah, it looks cool too, man. So I saw your your name, your last <laughs> yeah. name on there. It's just a cool looking backpack. You probably yeah. can't buy that, right? Uh, you probably can buy them, but they are very expensive. Yeah, if you find like a military surplus store, or if you find, um, you probably buy it online somewhere. I'd imagine. Yeah, no, it's made by Camelback, and Camelback is a commercial retailer. Oh, really? As well, so. Huh. Yeah, I know them. They did make the backpacks with the drinks packs in them. That's right. Yeah. 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 They make a lot of cool military gear. Huh. No, I didn't know that. That's cool. Well, to try to find the, like, the dig up somewhere and which one you might actually, uh, mm. yeah. Also, um, I carry my mask and my fins with me. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I don't carry around the full scuba diving set, but uh, always make sure I have like a, a mask and a set of fins, so... Wherever I am, if I feel like going for a bit of a bit of a dive, with a free dive or a snorkel or something, I can yeah. get out there and. Uh, Those are pretty big things to take with you. Yeah, the the fins are, are proper tick diving fins from when I was working. Really? So they're they're not light at all. Wow. Like they're very very large, but. Like tech diving, what, what does it mean? Is it like professional oh, sorry, tech, technical diving? Yeah, so <clears throat> technical diving is just like a, well, it's, I guess, a logical progression and extension of recreational diving. Hmm. It's going deeper. It's using different mixes of gases. It's exploring harder to reach places. Using different mixes of gases, what does that mean then? <laughs> um, well, it's using things like nitrix or trimix instead of you know your standard air. Like right. in your in a in the air that you breathe, it's a mixture in there. It's like twenty one percent oxygen, seventy nine percent nitrogen. If I remember correctly, probably not. But anyway, different mixes of gases supply you with a different ratio, so you might have. Might say yeah, like you can take more uh, air with you. Yeah, so you can you use less of your gas supply when you're diving from depths. What's what's the deepest you ever been? Um, I've been down to about fifty-eight meters. Holy shit, man! <laughs> what's he, what's even down there? Like, what, what do you see? Because I mean. Being that deep, that's like more than fifty meters of what? Like that's like, uh, uh, like one hundred and fifty foot. Uh, I don't know freedom units. Freedom units. That's approximately times three. But 
Um, <laughs> that, was, that was for a, a shipwreck. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you got, like, lights. But when, you're, when you're deep like that, like, you, you don't, it's completely darkness, I imagine. Depends on where you are. Really? Yeah. It really depends on where you are. I mean, it's, it does, of course, as you get deeper, you get less light penetration. But shipwreck at 50 meters, man. That's, that's some light. Yeah. That's wild, man. But to do that, you need to get qualified. Yeah. And that's when you start getting into tech diving, technical diving. Okay, and when you do something like that, like that you probably never uh, go alone either. You never go alone when you're diving anyway. Okay. Uh, you always use a, the buddy system. Right. So you always have a, somebody else with you. Hmm. 15 meters, man. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, I'm just trying to trying to measure what what that would look like. Yeah. Just uh, yeah, just like a ship underwater, frozen frozen time kind of. Yeah. It's gonna be. It's like a snapshot. It's gonna be a, uh, kind of a haunting experience uh, in a way. Oh, absolutely. Some some of them are. Some of them are very. Especially if you know that a bunch of people fucking died in there. Like, I mean, th- didn't you tell a story when when you actually like, saw? Like some skeleton on the water somewhere. Yeah, there are certain shipwrecks you can go to where they still have human remains in them. Yeah. So you be swimming through these very small confined spaces. Yeah. And yeah, the pitch it's pitch black except for the, the beam of light that your torch shines. Yeah. And so you don't really have all you all you can really see is like where that where that beam is falling. Yeah. And so you can swim by things without even noticing them. Yeah. So some feel like a a passageway in the internal internal of the, the ship, and come through a hatch. Be looking around, looking around. They're really that's anything. Then just shine your beam down into the corner of a of a room, and there's just like a old like skeletal remains of a of a person sort of in a pile in the corner, you know, so they can ground up and half eroded. Pretty it's pretty haunting, man. <laughs> the first time you see it. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine, man. Correct <laughs> over. Yeah, I can uh, I mean I took to to uh Several people who are like into diving, it's kind of the same as, as surfing. I think like there's there's an addictive quality to it in a way, because there's always something new to see, always something new to find, and even if you go to the same place, it's never really the same. So, yeah, yeah, it's just something nice about being in a, in a different world, in a different environment. Yeah, that's cool. All right, Ben. So. Um, Let's see. I think uh, we're gonna about to wrap it up right now. I mean, we've talked about right. it for over an hour now, so which is which is pretty cool, I think, for a very yeah. first. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So as a um, throw away, like if you uh, if you walk into somebody who is like has an idea in the back of his or her head to to start traveling the world, like. Yeah, I'm thinking about it, but yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, like, what would you say to them? Like, what's your, what's your word of advice to, to the? 
don't procrastinate. Just just do it. Just do it. You won't regret it. Yeah. Just get out there. Like you'll have you'll have a hundred reasons why you shouldn't do it in the back of your head. You know, your job, whatever, worrying about the future. You'll never have that time back again. If you sit there worrying and waiting and debating, you'll just uh, you'll waste your life away. Just get out there and do it, man. It's it's an incredible experience and something that when you look back on it, you you don't regret. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that too, man. Like, uh, I, I started hitting the road when I was, uh, when I just turned 29 years old. And I kind of wish I'd done it sooner, man. Yeah. But that's that's what, yeah. you, what you hear pretty much everyone say. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah, so far it's uh, yeah, one of the best decisions I've made. And don't worry too much about it, like money and work, everything. Sort of. You'll make it work. Yeah. Once you're out there, you'll make it work. Yeah. Oh, fuck, man. Thanks. Thanks for uh, for this interview. Oh, That's thanks for having me. Cheers to that. Episode number one, man. <laughs> oh, awesome. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Polarizer Podcast. Check the show notes for links and details on literally everything that was discussed and mentioned during the show. Subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes or your other favorite podcast directory to never miss an episode. And be so kind to give us a five-star rating and review. Visit thepolarizer.com for high-quality articles on making life an adventure, traveling the world, being the best you can be, and other topics that fuel the fire in your soul. That's thepolarizer.com. One word, including the. Thank you for listening. And thanks for telling a friend. It really makes all the difference.